0: Uh, good evening. Well, we made it through the uh, through the cold and uh, made it through rain. Saved rain last night, so um, we're getting a good good. It's a good way to start off this weekend. We're um, we're pleased to have Dr. Mark Fattah with us again. Is this? It's been like seven or eight years you've been coming here, hasn't it, Mark? It's, it yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> you know, it just seemed and um and I even know. It's the first time it um, was on Psalms and last year on Jonah. They're able to do better than for you than they did for me. Um uh, I had I was having dinner with the deacons the other night and they were saying they heard me on the radio. And and so I And they said I sounded great, and and I was really uh, flattered, and and I asked well, what did I say? Well, I don't know what you said, but it was was good. So um, let me, uh, I want to just note a a few things. First of all, if you don't have a schedule, there's a schedule out there, but um, besides tonight, uh, tomorrow morning we'll be uh, meeting again here at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that'll go from 9 to 10:15. We'll take a break uh, for coffee and pastries, and then uh, Mark will speak again at 10:45 and run till noon, and then he'll be back here again at and then we'll preach at the 10:30 uh, uh, service. I'm um, going to also, uh, for for my church folks here, because it's just more convenient, I'm going to give you some health updates. Because people keep asking me, and and it keeps changing day by day, even sometimes hour by hour. So we've got three guys we've been keeping in touch with, uh, Glenn, Kendall, surgeries, and an endoscopy, And they hope they're finally getting everything uh, resolved uh, for him. Testins, colon, all that gut stuff down in there, so you can keep him in prairie still at um, St. Mary's in Athens. Dick Manwaring came home, it was either yesterday or this morning, and uh, when I talked to Sandy, uh, Sandy, he is doing better, but um, of course, keep him in your prayers, and then I just got a call from Bob Peoples just about uh, 15 minutes ago, he is on his way up to Athens Regional with an abscess on his colon, doctor said, get on up there right now, so you can keep him in prayer, and... um, and pray for Anne and Nicole. And I, I think that's it for right now. Prayer. Father, we, uh, we give you thanks uh, for the blessing of this day that you have made. Each day is a gift from you. And we thank you that, uh, for bringing us here together tonight. We um, lift up our, our speaker, Dr. Fatata. We pray for your spirit upon him uh, as he proclaims uh, the message on the glory of your creation. Uh, we pray that you would speak to each of us. Amen. All right, sir.
1: Well, it's uh, good to be back. I think now that it's my eighth time. Well, now that it's my eighth time here, um, I feel kind of comfortable. uh, uh Sam and I talked about my coming back in fact, last time I was here, we were in conversation about the possibility and what we might do uh sorry i th- I think last year I was able to bring warm weather from Orlando. I tried, but it backfired on me um we were We were cold today when I left. We were like in the fifty yeah, but yesterday. It was in the eighties. Somebody has to do it, right? But we'll be we'll this cold snap that we're having down into the fifties. Um it'll we'll be back up into the eighties in a day or two, so it, it's okay. Well, um I am really I'm delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to this. I've planned a lot for to present at times. I had a whole sermon prepared for Sunday morning and about a week ago I said, oh, that's not going to work. Let me do something else. So I wrote another sermon. Um, So uh, after the first time I was here, I got a pretty good reception. And Sam said, can you come back? And I said, okay. After the second time I was here, Sam said, you know, you got a pretty good reception. Can you come back? We're going to be talking about creation. You're probably going to be stretched a little bit. Um, But it's good. Our goal is just to understand what the Bible says. I have a friend, and uh, he has always lived out on the West Coast. We're professional friends. And we cross paths maybe once a year. A while back, we would cross paths a little bit more. Remember, I hope we're still friends. Well we're familiar. That phrase comes from the Apostles Creed as we know it. And the Apostles Creed as we know it goes back to about 700 AD. Of course, the Creed would have been in Latin at that time, so we know it in English uh, translation. It's actually a slight development and modification of an older creed, and that one is called, the Old Roman Creed. And the Old Roman Creed goes back to 400 A.D., so another 300 years back. And the Old Roman Creed, translated into English, goes this way, I believe in God the Father, and in there is no maker of heaven and earth. There were a few uh, additions that were made to the Old Roman Creed when it became what we know of as the Apostles' Creed. It's not the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles wrote it. It's the Apostles' Creed because the belief of the church is that it articulates the fundamental teaching of the Apostles. Originally, the Apostles' Creed wasn't written so that Christians could recite the Creed in worship. Originally, the Apostles' Creed was a catechetical, instructional tool. Somebody is converted. They need to be baptized. Well, they need some introduction to the Christian faith so that they have a solid foundation. And so the Apostles' Creed really served, I don't know, a 12-week series on the basics of the Christian faith, and they would take various articles so that when you went for baptism you had to say i believe and this is what i believe the apostles creed is wonderful There's so much division true in the christian church there is so much division true In Presbyterian churches, there is so much division. It is wonderful that we have the Apostles' Creed. Because the Apostles, one, the fundamentals of our faith, what we believe. And two, the things that we hold in common with all of those other Christians with whom we disagree. And there are plenty of disagreements, right? Uh, people will disagree on what kind of music there should be in the church, uh, how people should dress when they go. Say, not that this has to mean anything to you, but are you are you Calvinist or Arminian? Are you prelapsarian or postlapsarian? Uh, what do you believe about the providence of God? Uh, is there such a thing as free will? Should you baptize babies? Um, if you do, how much water do you put on them? Uh, by the way, I'm a joke teller, as Tim will probably testify to the reality of that. But there was a time when a Baptist preacher and a Presbyterian were talking about baptism. And the Presbyterian said to the Baptist, if I get the guy knee deep, is he baptized? And the Baptist says, no. How about if I get him in up to his waist, is he baptized? Absolutely not. What if I get him up to his chin as he baptized? No, Not baptized. And the Presbyterian said, it's only the water on the top of the head that counts. Okay, I promise you that's my only joke for the whole weekend. I don't even know how that came up. We do disagree on a lot of things, yes. But with all of these Christians, we can gather... With all of our disagreements, even God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, etc., that we hold in common with the Christian church worldwide in all of its various stripes. So we're not going to do the whole creed, obviously. We're only looking at one phrase, maker of heaven and earth. But I just want to start by saying, You know, the Apostles' Creed can be seen as a prayer. Pray the Apostles' Creed. It is just wonderful to continually remind ourselves of those fundamental things that we hold true and that we hold in truth with Christians of all sorts of stripes and ilks theologically. Folks, that we have a lot of this Apostles' Creed allows us to focus on our common ground. And so I actually chose, speaking on maker of heaven and earth as it's found in the Apostles Creed, I chose it for a purpose. I mentioned that there's a lot of division in the church on on all sorts of things, but certainly one thing that there's division on is the whole question how did it take place? Uh, All sorts of questions, and you know, we have an an aisle here. We have people who sit on this side of that question. We have people who sit on that side of the question, and sometimes they don't like each other. Sometimes they get mad at each other. Sometimes they say, do, you're one of the bad people, because we're the good people. We're the ones who are preserving you're the ones who are destroying. We're the ones with the truth. You're the ones with aberration. And so since there are different ideas, I thought what better place to start than that with which we all agree. I agree with everything that I have to say tonight about Maker of Heaven and Earth. But we all agree that we believe in God the Father Almighty. And that he is maker of heaven and earth. And so that's where we're going to start tonight with that teaching in the Apostles' Creed. Now, just to say up front, it wasn't in the Roman Creed, the In Jesus Christ is only son. So somebody, actually a whole lot of buddies, must have thought that this phrase, maker of heaven and earth, is really, really important. So important that they're going to put it in this slightly expanded creed. So important that they want all catechumens who are prepared. I believe in God, maker of heaven and earth. We're only told two things about God in general. Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth. So it must have been very important for the ancient church, and we want to be able to recite the creed with some understanding, important to us, as it was to those believers who added it to the old Roman creed. Now, as a matter of fact, this expression, maker of heaven and earth, is a title for God, like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Apostles Creed, I believe in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarian Christians. It doesn't matter if you are Roman Catholic, uh, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Episcopalian, Baptist of any variety, any of the split peas of Presbyterian nationals, it doesn't matter. Everybody is an Apostles' Creed confessing Trinitarian believer. This is one thing that does separate us, for example, from Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I don't am presuming that you come from different churches and different backgrounds. Some of you may attend the Catholic church. Uh, let's say that you have a friend who's a member and you're Roman Catholic and they brought you here. You wanted to come here. This Floridian talk about maker of heaven and earth. And uh, so we could confess the creed together. And you as a Roman Catholic have a lot of things that you don't see eye to eye with. Like what does baptism do? What's going on in the Lord's Supper? Uh, why do you call the guy a priest? All kinds of days swinging that thing and there's incense. And why did he just sprinkle me with water when he walked down the aisle? All, to Presbyterians, that's all really strange. But it doesn't, we all have this commonality of belief that is expressed in the Apostles' Creed. If you were to have brought somebody here who goes to a Jehovah's Witness church, they couldn't say the creed with you. We want to start. We want to start by laying a foundation of the fundamental basics of our Christian faith with regard to God as Creator. And this phrase in the creed, "Maker of heaven and earth," is actually a title for God that comes out of the Book of Psalms. Let's look at. Uh, Let's look at each one just briefly, just so that we know from. So first of all, turn to Psalm 115, 15. 115, 15. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, some of your translations might say Creator, everybody say maker of heaven and earth, maker, no creator, uh, this, is, this is one of the places, and notice that in my translation, and I'm using the 2011 NIV this weekend, if I do cite some other translations, which I will, uh, I'll let you know, but if I don't say what I'm reading, I'm reading out of the NIV, it's the new 2011 one, like it's a proper name. It's a title, maker of heaven and earth. If you see, for example, a a news headline that says, um, President Trump announced, president is going to be capitalized, as opposed to the president of Nicaragua said, then it wouldn't be capitalized because it's a title, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, next, go to Psalm 121, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The uh, next one, 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I read once, and I can't confirm it, but I read once in a history book uh, that this verse was the way that John Calvin started every worship service. He started by saying, our help is in the name of the Lord of heaven and earth. A few psalms down, Psalm 134, verse 3. Psalm 134. 34 Verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 140. Well, let's back up and read one verse. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. We've now looked at every place in the Bible where maker of heaven and earth occurs as a type. There are a few other places that we'll look at later where there is something like this set of God, not quite in the same way. They're just related uses. But this is where the language of the Apostles' Creed comes from. You see, the Apostles' Creed is liturgical. It's used in worship. It's liturgical. It was new believers in the fundamentals of the faith. And it comes out of the liturgy of ancient Israel. It comes out of Israel's worship of God. God is worshiped as maker of heaven and earth. Okay. All that by way of introduction. Now, tonight I want to just do two simple things. I want to, in two ways, one question, I'm going to give it two answers. My question is, how does the Bible use, how does the Bible use the teaching that God is maker of heaven and earth? To what practical use does this phrase go? Who uses it? We're obviously answering the question, what should this phrase be useful as in our own Christian walk? How should we use the confession that God is maker of heaven and earth? So that's our question. Two answers. The first answer I don't know, maybe all of you are going to disagree, maker of heaven and earth. So here's my first answer. The Bible does not, first I want to tell you how, what the Bible does not use the phrase for, and Then I'll tell you what it does use the phrase for. The Bible does not use the teaching that God is the maker of heaven and earth to teach us now, I want to illustrate the fact that the Bible does not use this expression God is maker of heaven and earth to teach us modern science. Whether that science is young earth science or old earth science, that doesn't really matter. I'm looking at this more fundamentally that that phrase is not used in modern science. Let's look let's look just Look at two illustrations of that. Turn with me to Psalm 136 and verse 7. Well, let's just back up a little bit. You'll notice in verse 1, Psalm. And, uh, Marion, I'm sure that everybody remembers everything that I said two years ago about what Thanksgiving psalms are. I don't, but I'm sure they do. That happens to me. I'll go to a church that I spoke at three or four years ago, and somebody will say, oh, I remember that sermon you preached on. And I say, "Mm, you had a better memory to remember the text that I preached on. Um is it Mike? Mike. Uh, Mike and I were talking, I, I think, if I can remember that far back. It was like an hour ago. Um, and uh, I, uh, he mentioned that his son, can I tell them what your son's doing? Uh, his son is in. Uh, ha, has done two things professionally uh, because, and I don't know any details, but he wants to do something I'm gathering that in his mind has more significance than writing contracts and that sort of thing. Not that that's not important. If you're the one who's in the suit, the contract's really important, isn't it? Yeah, that it was written properly. But at any rate, he wants to do something uh, else. And uh, Mike has heard him preach a couple of times in some small Presbyterian churches. My dad was a cabinet maker. My grandpa died when I was probably like four. He was born in the late 1800s, and uh, so I did know him, but not well. But he was also kind of an itinerant preacher. And the first time my dad heard me preach, my dad said to me, you preach just like your grandpa, which is weird because I never heard him preach. You want to know something even weirder? Anybody? Okay, guess. I don't look Japanese, so that's off the table. Italian, Japanese and Italian, they're usually the first guesses, but it's Hungarian. And... um, My grandparents on my dad's side came early 1900s. I don't look like the Hungarian side. I have the hairline of my Polish grandfather. I I mean, it's like he was reincarnated when I was born. Uh, I'm preaching at a big church a good number of years ago in St. Louis. And after the sermon, it's a traditional church where the pastor walks down at the end and then he shakes hands and greets everybody. There's this young couple that greets me. And, uh, you know, they don't really know who I am. And it turns out she's Hungarian, as we're chatting, uh, and he is, uh, uh, was born and raised in the States. She She's Hungarian. She said, no way. I said, yeah. She said, I'll tell you the truth. While you were preaching, I elbowed my husband. And I said, this guy preaches like a Hungarian. I've never. So there must be a Hungarian preaching gene. And uh, I don't know where it is in, in that DNA, he, helical something or other. Now, my, my oldest son, uh, somebody was asking me about if any of my sons, because I'm a pretty serious hobbyist woodworker. Um, and uh, has, have any of my kids followed in that? And my oldest son is a trim carpenter, and he's really good. I mean, he's he's gone way beyond me. I now ask him questions. Because he feels like he's kind of reached a limit for what he can do, and he needs to get his contractor's license. So we were talking about what getting his contractor's license looks like and what it can do for him in terms of his uh, career and whatnot. But if there is a woodworking gene, Will's got the woodworking gene. Uh, he's really good. And he also has my father's, uh, that has my name on it. Uh, Okay, I'll tell you one more story, and then I'll get back to the topic. Partly because I I just, I was just thinking about my dad the other day, a couple of weeks is the anniversary of his passing, and I was sitting in my shop and just reminiscing and um, sent my brother and my sister a picture of some work that I had done, and I just said, So as I grew up working in his shop and he taught me a lot about woodworking, but more than that, he taught me a lot about life. In spite of the fact that he never said anything, you know, the Norm Abrams thing where Norm never talks. Yeah, my dad and I could work together for an hour and a half and he would not say a word because he was thinking uh, about what it was that he was doing. But here's the story. And these are the kinds of things that that I lose. My dad and my grandpap, when my dad was young, were working on a kitchen. They were installing a custom kitchen in somebody's house. My dad was working somewhere up on top of one of the cabinets, and my grandfather saw my dad cut a corner, and he challenged him on it. And my dad said, it's up here. Nobody's going to see it. My grandpap said, if that's the way you work, you don't get off the job. Let my dad finish it by himself. My dad said, I never cut another corner in my career. So fathers, mothers, you don't all have the opportunity to have your children growing up in a trade with you. But uh, especially if you have younger children or if you have grandchildren, something that you can do with them, not so that they just learn how to do it, But that's where you can really teach them about life and how to live life. So all that goes to say is we are in a Psalm 136. It's a Thanksgiving song. Give thanks. Give thanks. And then it's to him who did this, who did that. We'll have to look at that. Did you know that the earth is on the waters? What's that mean? We'll take a look at that. But um, verse 7, who made the great lights. What do you mean by that? Verse 8, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. Now, nothing particularly shocking there. What I want to do at this point is I want to read to you, because Calvin got this. I want to read to you from John Calvin's commentary. If John Calvin is a name that doesn't mean anything to you, Presbyterians are not allowed to have saints. But if we had saints, it would be St. John Calvino. He is like the patron saint of the Reformed and Presbyterian types, which is why this. First of all, he says it is true that the other planets are larger than the moon. Well, I wonder how he knew that. Sure doesn't look like they are. That's not something that you would figure out by observation of your own two eyes. It is true that the other planets are larkent in order, on account of its visible effects. He's saying that this, this little section here in the psalm is alluding to Genesis. One, where it says God made the two big lights, the big light to govern the day and the little light to govern the The big ones. Now, he's saying that the reason why they're called the two big ones is because that's the way they look to us, right? Doesn't the sun look bigger than the moon and doesn't the moon look bigger than all those other twinkling things that are out there? So he says that the that uh, that the reason why Genesis says that and Psalm 136 says that is it's it's the, the way it appears to us. Now here's what he says: the Holy Spirit had no intention to teach astronomy. That's why I'm quoting from Calvin. That's why I said Calvin gets this. He gets the idea that. We're using the Bible in a way that it wasn't intended to be used if about modern science. Calvin says the Holy Spirit had no intention here by calling the one the big one and the next one the, ne- the, 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 the smaller one. The Holy Spirit had no intention to teach astronomy. And in proposing instruction meant to be common to the simplest and most uneducated persons, See, God wants to teach everybody not to exist in the day. Uh, In proposing instruction meant to be common to the simplest and most uneducated purposes, he made use by Moses and the other prophets of popular language. See, not scientific language, popular language. That none might shelter himself under the pretext of, of obscurity. That nobody might say, oh, the Bible's like, D, I can't understand it. Calvin said, nope, God's not going to let anybody off the hook. He's just going to use real, down to earth, simple language. As we will see when men sometimes very readily pretend an incapacity to understand when anything deep or recondite is submitted to their notice. Now, accordingly, as sad, you know that? Saturn is bigger than the moon. As Saturn, though bigger than the moon, is not so to the eye, that is, it doesn't look that way, owing to its greater distance. The further away it gets, the smaller it looks. The Holy Spirit would rather than unintelligibly to the humble And to the learned. Calvin understood that the Bible's language of God as maker of heaven and earth, the Bible's language of God as creator, is very simple language that everybody can understand. It is not teaching us about science. Now, let's look at another text. Psalm 136.7 alludes to Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at one text in Genesis chapter 1. And this text refers to the waters above the firmament. Verses 6, 7, and 8 are the second day of creation. All the days start with, and God said, and they all end with uh, day one, the second day. Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault. From the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. In another lesson, we're going to look at this question of the vault in great detail. We're going to look at how it's been translated throughout history, what it means, uh, etc. For now, I just want to look at what Calvin said about this vault. If I were king of translators, in this case, I'm James out there, I mean, does anybody have a real Bible? Anybody have a King James open? What The King James doesn't use the word vault. What does it use? Firmament. Yeah. I'm going to argue in a later lesson as to why firmament is a good translation, the best translation. Um vault is I'm gonna argue is kind of okay. I'm gonna give Vault a C. I'm gonna give the ESVs what is it, expanse? Yeah, that's an F. Yeah. That really eliminate that really eliminates the picture altogether. But you gotta come back if you wanna know why I'm saying what I'm saying about this translation. That's not my point at this point and we see what it says it says God said let there be a firmament a vault a dome between the waters because remember in Genesis 1:2 everything is water and everything is darkness you can't live where it's all dark and where it's all water you can't survive there you can't thrive there and what God a home Where you can survive, but more than that, where you can thrive, where you can flourish as God intended you to flourish. And so God has to take care of this darkness problem, and he does that on day one, right? God said, let there be light, and he separates the light from the darkness, calls the light one thing, the darkness another thing. Now it's all part of God's grand scheme. Now what's he going to do with all of this water? Well, God separates water from water. So this... Firmament is going to go in between the water as a separation. A friend of mine was telling me in construction about um, uh, um, watching these folks who are redoing docks in a lake. I've never seen this. Retaining wall. Three-sided retaining wall around the entire dock. And they pump all of the water out, and they're now repairing and resetting the foundation on dry land. Well, that's what this is kind of doing. It's separating the waters, and where are they separated? So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water. It was so, and God called the vault sky. Now, again, we're going to look at this in much greater detail, and I'm not concerned to answer all questions about this. My point is, if you just read this text and take it literally, this text is saying that there is some kind of structural thing that God built, and that structural thing has the ability to hold water up above it, and then it's a separate picture. Now I want to show you what Calvin has to say about what this text says, the language of the text. Here's what it says, for it appears opposed to common sense. Yeah, Calvin was not known to mince words. It appears opposed to common sense and quite incredible. Now, he's. this is not incredible like really awesome. We say, wow, that was incredible. Do you know how the Apostles' Creed starts in Latin? Anybody know the, any of the creed in Latin? It starts with one word, credo. Hear the cred? Credo. The O means I, and the crade means believe. Okay? So, if something is visible, if somebody's not decisive, what are they? Indecisive. Um, Give me another example. If something is not regular, what is it? Oh, irregular. The N has actually become an R. If something's not possible, what is it? Impossible. The N has almost become a P. Say M. What do you need to say M? Two lips. Say P. What do you need to say P? Two lips. They're both bilabials. So N's assimilate to another consonant sometimes. Uh, if something is not legal, what is it? No, it's not illegal. It's illegal if you come from Pittsburgh, because I've made steel. My kids, I, I still slip with the illegal thing, and that was an illegal hold, Dad. It's illegal, um, but I still revert to some of that uh, Pittsburgh ease. So when the point is, when Calvin says it's quite in incredible what's he mean you can't believe it it's not believable common sense and quite incredible that there should be water above the heavens because notice that in our text the text says that there's water above the heavens above the the firmament and god calls this firmament sky and so there's water up above the visible sky, Calvin says, what's he say? Opposed to common sense, some resort to allegory and philosophize concerning angels, but quite beside the purpose. For to my mind, this is a certain principle, he he has no doubt about what he's going to say, that nothing is here treated of but the visible form of the world. That is the way things look. 136, he who would learn astronomy and other recondite arts, don't let the word arts fool you. Uh, In our colleges and universities, we might say there's there's a department of arts and sciences. And arts and sciences are not related to each other. In Calvin's older use of the word arts here, arts are sciences sciences, Let him go elsewhere. So my simple point is just looking at two examples and looking at how Calvin understood the use of the Bible. Calvin understood that when the Bible is speaking of God as maker of heaven and earth, when the Bible is describing the creation, unlearned folk, Understand it because we live in it and we walk in it. The Holy Spirit had no intention to teach astronomy or other recondite arts sciences. If anyone wants to learn those, those are good things. But go somewhere else other than the Bible to learn those things. I'd have to find it. Scientists here, some retired scientists perhaps. There's a wonderful section. Uh, In Calvin's Institutes, where he lauds, he praises the vocation of the scientist. Because he, in effect, ends up saying the scientist has an ability to see the glory of God, cannot. I used to pastor a church back in the day in between D.C. and Baltimore. It was an interesting congregation. First thing I did in my first sermon was I said, I want to come to where you work so I can get to know you uh, in your job as well as in your home. And half the congregation, because this was in Laurel, Maryland, which is where the congregation said, "Uh, you're not allowed to come to my work. Well, what do you do for a living? I work for the State Department. Well, what job do you have? I got a desk job. That's all I knew. That's half the congregation. The other half, uh, they didn't work at uh, NSA. They worked at NIH. They were all like brainiac scientists. You know, there's an ab- we know through DNA testing that if they have a child and the child is one gender, no problem. If the child is another gender, there's going to be a genetic problem. There's now the scientific ability to separate the male and female sperm makers so that you can guarantee the sex of the child. It didn't start out with children. It started out with the guy that designed that was an elder in my church. Well, now Orthodox Presbyterian, if that doesn't mean anything to you, if you think of the PCA as being conservative, the Orthodox Presbyterian... Uh, Church is our conservative cousin. I was ordained Orthodox Presbyterian. Um, There was another woman, General Secretary of Chiang Kai-shek. Her family was the last out on the last boat at the time of the Revolution. A brother was in boarding school up in the mountains. She never saw him for 40 years. She's raised as a Christian. He's raised as an atheist communist. But uh, she is a uh, genetic engineer in cancer research, and she would talk about her, her little brown bus. She developed, and of general word, don't hold me to the science on this, to take the chemotherapy to the exact point in the DNA strand where the problem was originating so that there's no collateral damage. I, I can't even understand what I just said to you let alone think about developing the technology to get that stuff to go to that spot. Her has the executive director of the international wing of NIH's uh, International Cancer Institute. So these are like spies and scientists. I told you it was really a different congregation. But Calvin in his institute says, wow, into the DNA string that you can tell where the cancer's coming from and you can take a chemical right to that to get rid of it without collateral damage, you can see the glory of God in the way that most people will never see it. There was another guy, Jim. Jim's Ph.D. was in solar flares. And what this guy knew about astronomy and the sun and whether you're talking about the DNA string real, real little. By the way, your wasp, you didn't completely get him. He's he walking across here, so. Oh, you did get him. This is his brother. Yeah. Peace. Uh Well, he's not bothering me right now, so you can come get him. Uh, Where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Whether you're looking at black holes, I don't even know what they are, or whether you're looking at the tiniest things in, what, physics. I don't know. Remember when they, they found atoms and then they split atoms? and That's so small, I can't. And there's smaller stuff than that. The glory of God career to go into? Please do not think that the only thing they can do to be involved in the glory of God is to become a preacher. That's good. That's glorious. It's marvelous. I love it. I've been doing it for 35 years. But wow, science, wonderful. And Calvin has such affirmation for our young people as they're contemplating what they should do with their lives. And again, And we'll talk more about this in Sunday school. There's a lot of discussion between, and I'm speaking metaphorically here. Folks on this side who think that the Bible teaches that the earth is young, people on this side who think that the Bible teaches that the earth is old, this is kind of the big discussion. I think the whole conversation is wrongheaded altogether. Young earth folk and old earth folk, they're all the same. They all have, in my estimation, a faulty presupposition about what to expect the Bible to teach. And I think the reason why they're wrong, if you want to know things like the age of the earth uh, or how the earth came to be, how old is the human race, where did it come from? Go elsewhere other than the Bible. That's my first point. Now, second point. That's what the Bible maker of heaven and earth, that's what the phrase doesn't teach us. The Bible does use the teaching that God, not modern science, but modern prayer. Just a couple of general remarks. The phrase, as we looked at every occurrence, occurs only in the book of Psalms. It occurs only in the prayer language of ancient Israel. The related related phrases only occur in the context of the church praying. Not the church debating the age of the universe. Not the church debating how things came to be as they are but the church at prayer. And so when we think of maker of heaven and earth, is the church at prayer. So that's just a general remark or two. Let's just make a couple of specific, uh, show a couple of specific uses of how maker of heaven and earth works in prayer. Well, let's go back to Psalm uh, 115. 5 I'm sorry, did I say I meant 15. Notice in 14, may the Lord cause you to flourish. Remember that God making a world where you can flourish, he hasn't given up on that agenda. God created us to flourish. We decided that we could flourish according to our own wisdom, in our own way, and that led to the opposite of them. God made us to be holy and happy. That is, to be holy and flourishing. Because of our rebellion, the children's catechism says, instead of being holy and happy, we became sinful and miserable. Misery. Is there any around? Any in the world? Any in our country? And in our homes, God's original creational design, which is the fruit of sin, is what we chose to do back in the Garden of Eden. So may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. Yeah, even your little ones who've been baptized, of course. That that was a joke. Sorry, Tim, I said I would not make any more jokes. Think anybody, God. Uh, now it says, may you be blessed by the Lord. And blessed is empowered to flourish. May you be empowered to flourish by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look at uh, Psalm 121. Uh, sorry, that, that, that's not the right one. It's not the next one. But it's 134. Verse 3. May the Lord bless you. That is, may God empower you to flourish, and may he do that from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. The logic here is, if God had the power to make, do you think he doesn't have the power to enable you to flourish where you're not flourishing? If he could do that, do you mean what you're facing is like too big for God? I remember one of my my wife and I have a mentor, although she was in Escondido, California. Any of you still watch Lawrence Welk at night? Yeah, Escondido, California. When my wife and I were first married, we went to my Polish grandparents' house every Saturday night. Had dinner with them, and of course we watched Lawrence Welk. Polish, he's got to be good, right? I remember when my, they were Roman Catholic. I remember when my grandmother was elated when they got a Polish Pope. Finally, we got a good Pope. How'd I get there? Escondido. Mentor, thank you, thank you. Um,. She used to say, I can still hear her saying, you know, a lot of Christians believe that God can raise them from the dead. It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If God can do the big thing, you mean he can't do the little thing? Confessing that God is maker of heaven and earth is a spiritual strengthening. It's like taking a... Uh, It's like I I don't drink this stuff, but it's like drinking a, a can of boost or whatever it is that these young people drink. It's like all sugar and caffeine. Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me. I don't need any of that. But at any rate, it's like it's like it's like drinking spiritual Red Bull, reminding you that if God made the universe, he's powerful enough to empower you to flourish In whatever area it is that you're lacking, that flourishing. See, prayer, empowerment to flourish. Uh, A big one is just the general prayer for help. Uh, Look at Psalm 121.2. in context, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The psalmist is all the way to Jerusalem. It's a hilly country. He's got to walk through all of these hills and ravines. And walking through the hills and ravines, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, robbers, all sorts of ways that he could come to a bad end. And so he's anxious about this, and he's anticipating I lift up my eyes to the hills that I've got to go through to make my pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacle. Ah, I know where my help's going to come from. The Lord. Well, who's he? The maker of heaven and earth. And in the Bible, to make something means to own it, means to have control over it. Does not the potter have the right to do whatever he wants with the pot that he made? So he takes some clay, and he makes a beautiful pot to keep it, and he takes that same clay and turns it into another. He's master over it. He can do with it as he will. I look at those hills, and I look at them with confidence. Why? Because I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and he can provide me the help that I need to surmount any obstacles that are in my way right now, from keeping me going deeper and closer to him. Or you might think of uh, 24, 8. What time am I supposed to quit? 8.15? What's that? 8.30? What time did we start? An hour and a half? Yeah, I probably won't do that to you. I, I had a psychology class it was by. It was at night. In college. this guy was strange, but I did learn one thing from him. You know how strange he was. He had he had been divorced twice. I have no idea what his first wife's name was or his second wife's name was because he referred to them frequently. You know, thing one and thing two is like wife one and wife two. Wife one used to say, but wife two would do this. Yeah, but I do remember this. The mind. Yeah. If we were in a class at RTS, you would have already had a break by now. I, I typically don't ever transgress an hour. But those seats are so comfortable. Yeah. Okay, so uh where were we? We were going to Psalm uh one twenty four eight. This is the one that Calvin used in his uh at the beginning of his sermon. Maker of Heaven. I've got a, I've got a, a beautiful, fun, cute, young, eight-month-old grandson. Oh, and, and the you know, nice thing is, they just moved a couple of months ago, five houses down from us, and his, his sister. So much fun and so nice to have them close. Conversely, my military grandson. That is my my military son's son is in Hawaii. Yeah, that they they don't just pop by in the evening when they're taking a walk. So it's it's really nice to have them there. But you know, I would never say. I'm confident, man. My help is in Owen. That uh, two and a half month old, a lot of fun, a lot of joy. But if I need help changing a tire, yeah, I'm not going to Owen. He can't help me. Now, I might scoot him in his chair or something beside me, and I might let him hold a nut to start to get him involved, and hopefully his mother doesn't mind that there's still some grease on it, and he got it on his shirt. Not that that ever happened, because he just doesn't have the power to do it. Let's look at another example of the same thing, One forty-six six. And we're not looking at all of these, but God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And he remains faith. You need help. You need someone that has the power to help you. Who has the power to help you? Not my grandson, not my granddaughter, not your grandkids. Who has the power to help you? Well, how about if you could tap into the power of the guy who made the whole? That's how this phrase is repeatedly used. It's used in prayer. It's used in prayers for flourishing. It is used in prayers for help. Let's look at one more. Uh, this time, just so you know, I do read the New Testament on occasion. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, but we've got to read this, Acts four twenty-four. 24. To back up a little bit, Peter and John have been in prison, and they get released from prison, and in verse 23, we read what happens on their release. On their release, Peter and John, priests and elders, had said to them, when they, that is the congregation that was meeting together, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything When the early church starts that God is sovereign Lord, or in the language of the Apostles' Creed, that God is almighty. You made the heavens and the earth. And the creed says, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You see why they call it the Apostles' Creed? Not because the apostles wrote it, but because the teaching in the creed is coming right out of the fabric Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke through the mouth of your servant, our father David, quote, this is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentile against your holy servant Jesus, whom you've anointed. See, they're taking that language of Psalm 2, and they're saying, In our day, the nations and the princes, that's Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, conspiring against the Anointed One, that is, conspiring against Jesus. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider, speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. No, we need your power. We need your power to speak boldly. We need to see signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the end of the prayer. But on what is this prayer based? It's based on the fact that they are addressing the maker of heaven and earth. If you have the, if you have the power to create the universe, this is the way the phrase maker of heaven and earth. Is used. Um, you have a hymnal in front of you? Uh, I don't know where it is, but it's got to be in the back somewhere. Let's do two things in conclusion. First, let's recite the Apostles' Creed. And let me give you a little bit of overview of where we are going from here. It, the Apostles' Creed should be in the back of your hymnal. Anybody find it yet? 845. No, it's only 815. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. 845. It is nice to read the creed. wording, Although we agree on what we believe in, we don't agree on the words that we use. And people have modernized it. And oh, it's not always what naturally comes to your mind if you grew up reciting the creed. So it is helpful to uh, look at it. But uh, let's confess together. Uh, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, where do we go from here? Tomorrow morning, we have um, two related lessons. Tomorrow morning, our job is going to be to try to get out of our Nike sneakers. uh, I forget what these shoes are. Oh, Skechers. My wife does not like Skechers, just in case you wondered. Don't buy her Skechers for a present. Um, uh, Timberland to get out of our own modern shoes and to start to walk through the pages of the Bible with ancient sandals on. In lesson, we're going to look at uh, imagery, some images of just creation in general to see how Calvin was right that the Bible is not using scientific language. We're going to look at imagery of creation in general. Just a couple of images to illustrate it. So a little bit more detail than tonight. And then in the Sidges, in Genesis 1, to see how Genesis 1 uses ancient images that would have been perfectly comprehensible, as Calvin says, to the unlearned in the ancient world. Now, sometimes that can be a challenge for us. Uh, For example, Psalm 5 says... Their throat is an open. Well, that's a weird image. Did any of you run around graveyards at night in the dark when you were kids? Some of us did. Interesting how our parents found out a lot about what we did when we were adults having conversation around coffee. You did what? One time we were sitting with a man named Ralph Vion. And uh, near us, he was a member of the church, good friends with with the family. And we didn't know anything about that back then. We didn't even know him back then. But all we knew was there were these strip mines with this beautiful blue water and these like 30-foot cliffs. And you could jump off the cliff into the water. We loved to go there and swim. So um, and we'd always get chased out of the are there and my parents are there. And my brother and I are telling this story about swimming in these strip mines. And Ralph said, you were the kids that I always chased out of my mind. <laughs> we didn't we later found out that yeah, those were Ralph's mines. So um, but at any rate. Sometimes th- some of these images are going to be actually the NLT is a wonderful translation. It says, stinks like the foulness of an open grave. See, in our culture, since we bury in the ground, we might think of, well, they left that grave open. Kids running might get hurt if they accidentally fell in at night. But the problem is they didn't bury in the ground. They buried in caves. And so you couldn't very easily trip and fall into an open grave. Yeah, Lord, don't open that grave. And here's where I love the King James. He stinketh. <laughs> that's poetic. Yeah, that's the point. But if, So images in the Bible are very common for ordinary people. The slight problem is they're common for ordinary people that lived in a very common images. Take some work for us. So we're going to look at some images Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, and try to unpack. So we we begin to see the language of the Bible through ancient eyes, not through modern eyes. So that's tomorrow, looking at imagery, creation in general, Genesis 1 and 2 in particular. We're going to look at about four images, just illustrate, I think, about how to read Genesis 1 and 2. Really, I want to do something more fundamental than that not tell you what I think about these things, but tell you how I read them, how I analyze them as a professional who's been doing this uh, for a long, long time. My doctoral dissertation back in the 80s goes back to um, geographical uh, imagery in the ancient world. a, A meteorological analysis of Psalms 104, 65, and 29. That's a doozy of a dissertation. But I loved it. And by the time I was done, I didn't hate my advisor. We, uh, he was a very special man, very wonderful relationship. So then we're going to look at the world through ancient eyes. Then on Sunday morning in Sunday school, I'm going to address head-on and theology interface with each other. We're going to look at uh, a kind of not very common, wrong way. The most common way that question is answered in the church today, and why I think it's wrong. And then we're going to look at how I think science and theology should rightly interface uh, with each other. Scientist sees through her microscope and does full justice to what the biblical scholar sees through the lens of the Hebrew text. And then on Sunday, yeah, this is what I changed. Did you know that in the Bible, God does battle against sea dragons? And some of the, what's that all about? And does it have anything to do with our spirituality? Yeah, that's the one that I originally thought about preaching on that text, and I thought, no, that's a little too edgy. Let me do something on the fourth commandment in Genesis chapter 1. And after I wrote that sermon, I thought, that's like too bland. I got get rid, get rid of that one. Go back to the edgy one because I think it has some real big picture. Uh, let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, who has sanctified us by your word, which is true and has called us to engage in the study of that word. Holy Spirit, we pray that over this weekend, you would sweeten um, various parts of your word in our hearts and our minds, your revelation of yourself as the maker of heaven and earth. And that we might stand in greater awe of you and your creation uh, as we grow in our understanding of your revelation of yourself and your world. We pray this so that we might more enjoy whatever our calling is and that we of our lives. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your son and our savior. Who reigns together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I almost did.